So we, we start with contact and feeling because that's the easiest place to have a direct experience of. We don't need to have a whole lot of philosophical frameworks for, for getting or understanding what it's about. So one of the reasons why the mindfulness tradition has gotten prominent in this world, in this country, is because when we bring mindfulness to our experience, it opens up the possibility for having choice. When we don't have mindfulness, then what we are doing is we're just following our habitual reactions, our habitual tendencies, and there is very little choice. When we are mindful, we can track our body experiences, our feelings, our perceptions, the reactions to our perceptions, the grasping that comes. So, one of the fundamental keys to the way this whole thing works and one of the fundamental keys for the shifting between breaking or creating the cycle of suffering is not so much that we need to change what's actually happening, but we need to learn how to observe what's happening and relate to it with choice. And that's really key. It's not that we have to change what's happening. We need to learn to relate to it differently. So, you know, we can see, we can see how this works, you know. So I don't know where your particular um, issues are, but certainly I've seen uh, how something like, you know, we can decide that we're not going to eat sugar. And then somebody brings over a plate of, of cookies and all of a sudden several of them disappear. So who ate the cookies? <laughs> <laughs> the mouse in the house ate the cookies because I didn't have any awareness of eating the cookies. <laughs> or we decide that we're not going to say somebody some something to say someone, you know, that you know something is a little bit of a hot topic. We're not going to go there, and we get in front of them, and before we know it, it's happened. And we can see that in a situation like that, sometimes our reactivity in the face of triggers is stronger than our resolve and our capacity to be with our impulses. And we can, you know, so if it's not sugar, it might be coffee, you know. Sometimes we, people can't sleep well when they have coffee, and so I've known how people can make a really clear determination they're not going to have any coffee. And then something happens, you know, they're driving through a neighborhood and there's a brewery or they're around somebody and then it, they're not actually thinking clearly, but they make themselves a cup of coffee and they have it and then they're up all night and then they're not sleeping. They don't feel very well the next day. So in each of these situations, we can see that there's a sense contact, there's a stimulus, there's a reaction. And what is needed in order to break the cycle of suffering is to be able to slow down 
this whole process so that we're seeing the way contact and feeling come together and how these things give rise to craving. When we're not watching that, when we can't pay attention to that, then craving moves to clinging and then it becomes becoming. And once it becomes becoming, that's a little bit like the snowball that's rolled off of the roof or over the side of the cliff. There's no going back once becoming has formed. We just are in a question of picking up the pieces and and mopping up the tears and and damn it, asking for forgiveness. <laughs> Band-aids and forgiveness is a good remedy once we get to becoming. Before we before that we've got some choices, but once we're there we don't have a choice other than how we responsibly pick up the pieces afterwards. And then it gives rise to this whole other cycle. Birth, aging, death, and suffering. And so then when we have suffering, then we have, we have a, the p- potential to act in a way that causes more suffering. We eat more chocolate. We have more coffee. We say more things that we regret. Or we can use the, the, the agitation and the suffering as a place of, of confidence and faith to bring about a, a resolution, a confidence, a joy, a clarity, a determination that allows the mind to come into stillness, to see clearly. And from seeing clearly, then we can begin to focus on how to relate to all of this in a way that ends suffering. So suffering has two branches, the creation of more suffering or the ending of suffering. So there's different places along this play of this wheel where we can, we can stop Contact and feeling, craving is, are three places that are obvious. Suffering is another place that's obvious. The rest of it, not so obvious. So we're starting with sense contact. Sense contact any kind of sense contact, whether we see something or we hear something or we smell something, we think something, we feel something, any sense contact gives rise to a feeling. And that feeling is either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Okay? So last week I was, you know, I find Damadira remarkably um, creative and talented and and her, 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 her mind is very ingenious in creating uh, ways of, of picking up things and experimenting so that we can have a sense. So last week we were, we were experimenting with different kinds of sense contact. And this time I want to I move as a stepping stone from the work that she did and move more into what is happening with these sense contact and how we're relating to it. The, the, the subtle movements of our attention and how we're focusing. So when we have this this uh, this experience of contact, with every contact there is the the quality of feeling. Now this feeling is the Buddhist feeling rather than the psychological feeling. So psychological feeling is the whole repertoire of emotions. The Buddhist feeling is pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Yeah. Now when we have something that's pleasant, the, the normal tendency is that we want it. And when we have something that's unpleasant, the normal tendency is that we don't want it. And this is not a 
personal problem. This is something that came as a part of our evolution where, you know, when we saw uh, something that was really uh, pleasant, like, you know, a field full of berries or fruit, uh, it, there was some very strong resonances about that satisfied our hunger and satisfied the clan's hunger. It was a good thing. And likewise, you know, when we saw something that was dangerous, the impulses of the system were organized around running or fighting or fleeing so that we could, we could survive. So the fact that we have these impulses is not a bad thing. It helps us in our coping mechanisms and our evolution. But the problem is, is that these basic things which are attached to a reptilian brain that are very primitive um, sometimes loop in ways that cause an enormous amount of grief and suffering. So something as simple, like, you know, the coffee, you know, or the cookies. You know, we see the cookies, we have an initial impulse of wanting the cookies, but the discernment in our brain is saying, well, you know, we've just been to the doctor, and the doctor says that our sugar levels are too high, we need to cut back on sugar. You know, it's not wise for us to eat the cookies. So we've got a conflict between what the reptile is saying and what the, what, the, what the intelligent one is saying. And if we are not able to negotiate between the reptile and the intelligent one, then the reptile takes over and we eat the cookies and then feel the consequences, which is oftentimes we don't feel so great. <laughs> Especially if a whole bunch of them disappear when nobody was watching. <laughs> <laughs> so pleasure and pain grab us they're very compelling and so when we are able to slow down and watch that initial impulse and then what happens afterwards with it then that's where the space begins to open up and we have some more choice So it's not that pleasure and pain are bad and that we have to get rid of them. That's not the problem. What is, is is that they are, it's so quick that they evoke a reaction and that reaction causes a snowball effect that unless we, we can find a discernment process that can meet what's arising as it's arising, then the chances are that we are actually just following habitual reactions. We're just repeating the sense of things that we've always done. We're repeating the story that we tell ourselves. We're repeating the action that we're familiar with. We're doing something that is habitual rather than something that is clearly thought out and may even necessarily be in our own best interests. So then to reverse the circle, to reverse the cycle, is to notice these things as they're arising so that we're beginning to get a little bit more capacity for choice. And that's the basis of mindfulness, and that's the basis of sense restraint, because if we are so um, hijacked by sense contact in certain spheres, then it's really helpful to take a little bit of care and watch what we expose ourselves to. Now, that has limitations, because care with exposing ourselves to contact 
is limited. There's only a certain number of situations where we can protect ourselves from that. So we really need to actually develop more wisdom so that we can deal with it from the level of where it's arising rather than protect ourselves from having the conflict. And, you know, Ajahn Shah, this wonderful forest meditation master, has a lot of stories to tell about that. And as a young man, he had very, very strong sexual desire. And one year during the Vasa, he decided that he was not going to look at any of the pretty ladies coming into the monastery. So, no contact, sense restraint, excellent sense restraint. So the ending of the Vasa, the ending of the rains retreat, and he lifts his internally imposed ban. He looks and he sees a lovely lady and is completely blown out of the water by all of the thoughts and the feelings and the emotions that arise as a result of that. So his understanding was is, is, is that sense contact is actually the place where you develop wisdom. So even though he would encourage his monks to practice sense restraint, he would do it contextually rather than as an ultimate goal. He would do it in order to help give them some breathing room and space so that then they can develop the wisdom, but he would encourage them eventually to develop the wisdom because he knew that no matter how good you are at developing sense restraint, there are times when you get blown out of the water when you, when you don't have it under wraps. 